I'm probably at the podcast stage of quarantine now. I'm President Joe Biden. I'm here on Goofcast. Yeah, I'd rather be in a cast. Something appears to be wrong with my radio dial. That's just Goofcast, punk. You listen to Goofcast. Please stop goofing on me. Welcome back to Goofcast. It has been a hot minute. How's everybody doing? How's your summer been? Did you get the vaccine? Did you not get the vaccine? Are you not going to get the vaccine? And did you cause a family or friendship crisis? Did you look at your grandmother and a bat and said, Sorry, Grandma, I'm a ride or die by the bat. Uh, Maybe quite literally. Anyway, welcome back, whoever is out there listening. I appreciate you. My name is Michael Prims. I know it has been a while since the last episode of Goofcast, which was in early May. So this is, uh, it's been two months since the last one. More than two months, actually. And I get it. I got some splaining to do, like uh, Ricky Ricardo and I Love Lucy. I got some splaining to do. I'm, I'm going to do some splaining. Give me a sec. I'm going to do some splaining. I would say that the podcast got uh, a little too big too fast. And not in the way that it got too big with too many people listening, but it was more so that it got too much work for me to handle in a quick period of time. And over the past few months, I got my second dose of the vaccine. I've been out there outside without the crippling anxiety of COVID hanging over my head. I've been going to patios, seeing friends, even went to a museum. But, uh, I, you know, I've been missing doing the podcast. And I kind of realized that in the first episode, I introduced a format of funny little banter, little goofs and gaffs, and then going into reviews, and then in the second episode, I abandoned that entire format and didn't look back. We did the Freemason investigation episode, we did the Blockbusters memory conversation with my buddy Sean, and we did the Alanis Morissette investigation, did she play my local mall Vaughn Mills. But we never really did an episode in the format of the first one, so I thought, you know, let's go back to that, make another one in the same vein as the first episode, and see how it goes. I'm working on a few investigations. One of them is more of a Halloween horror theme, and I'm going to put it out more like closer to October, closer to Halloween. But for now, we're going to bring it back to the classic Goofcast. That by classic, I mean the one episode I did back in, what was it, February, March? I don't know, it was cold outside. But anyway, oh man, it's it's been a it's been an interesting couple months. The biggest thing to happen to me recently, well, I guess the biggest thing to happen to me and also the town that I live in was Italy winning the Euro Cup. Just for some context here and I feel like I said this in the last episode, so sorry for repeating myself. But I live in Woodbridge, Ontario, a town just north of Toronto, more of the suburbs than the city. And Woodbridge, Ontario contains the largest population of Italians outside of Italy. I'm not making that fact up. So the Euro Cup and the World Cup shut this town down. While Italy is playing in one of those soccer games, you won't find a soul on the street. You'll find tumbleweeds, and all those tumbleweeds will be spray-painted 
red, white, and green. Like, it's crazy. And then when they win a game, Woodbridge goes into utter pandemonium. People drive around, honking, cheering. From my house, which is located next to a main street that I will not name, it sounds like there's a swarm of bees because it's just a constant honk that is echoing through the entire neighborhood. People are driving around, honking, cheering, with Italy flags hanging out the side windows, over the hood, over the back window. Accidents are happening. People wonder why our insurance rates go up every four years. There you go. Everybody gathers, and they actually shut the street down in basically our old town Woodbridge, if you want to call it that, called Market Lane. Like our like city center slash the original settlement of Woodbridge. Everybody gathers there, and it's crazy. And for the Euro Cup that recently happened, that Italy won, there were seven of these wins. There were seven times that the town erupted in this pandemonium. And the craziest day of them all was the one where they actually won the cup, the finals against England. And Market Lane was packed to the point of it, like, if you didn't know any better, you would think that you were at, like, a, a Coachella or, I don't know, Lollapalooza or something like that for the, the, the sheer density of people that were there. Uh, it was a pretty crazy thing to witness. I was there as well. I wasn't uh, partying in the thick of it. Like, they had, like, DJs and people were dancing. I was sort of off to the sidelines, but uh, it was still, like, quite a crazy thing to see. And because this eruption into pandemonium happened so often, and on the day that they won the cup, it felt like it was never-ending. Like, it started at 5 o'clock and didn't end until probably 1, 2 a.m. I was driving around at, like, 9 p.m., people still honking their horns, people still, you know, waving the flags in full force. And I was imagining if, like, there's some guy out there that now thinks that this day is the norm for Woodbridge. Like, I imagine this, like, older Italian guy driving around saying, Oh, well, I guess uh, this is the way things are now. You drive around, do a couple honks, scream out your rear window, you see a broad hanging out the sunroof with a flag. You whistle, but nobody hears you because the horns are so loud, so you don't look like that much of a creepy bastard. And, you know, everything that I see that's green, white, red, or blue, I'm honking my horn. But anybody who I see who's black, brown, yellow, or Portuguese color, I'm flipping them the bird. Forza Italia, fuck, get the fuck out of here. <laughs> I just imagined a guy like that. And uh, there's, I made a joke on Twitter that there is a fish and chips place, just an intersection south of Market Lane, which is real. There's actually a fish and chips place there. And I said that the Italians got together and as an FU to England, firebombed the fish and chips place in a reverse version of Spike Lee's Do the Right Thing. Uh, <laughs> and then people started to believe me a little bit, or at least question me. 
And I said, yeah, it actually happened. Bruce Springsteen actually came and wrote a song about it. It went a little something like this. So they blew up the fish and chips place in Woodbridge last night, even though it was owned by a Chinese guy. (laughs) But no, the fish and chips place, much like the London Bridge, is safe and sound. On a serious note, though, there was no uh, violence or uh, anarchy in the streets when Italy won. Besides people having a good time and getting together in unmass, I guess, for the first time since the pandemic, which was nice to see. And, you know, with our vaccination rates being pretty high and it being an outside event while cases and positivity rates are quite low... I think it was pretty harmless. And on the opposite side of the coin, there's definitely a lot of people who live in this town that are not Italian and that don't care about this and were probably very annoyed at the amount of honking and noise and traffic as a result of these Italy wins. Like, all all seven of them, really, caused some sort of disturbance, I would say. And uh, I, I totally get that. I could definitely see myself feeling like that if I wasn't Italian. And these people could be saying, oh my god, so just because the place that your grandparents came from that maybe you don't really have a connection to, maybe you've never visited, just because they won a soccer game, you got a honk all night long here? Come on, really, man? And you know, they could have a point, sure. But what I think is really beautiful about this celebration, honestly is that it was such a celebration of culture and, you know, mutual shared ethnic upbringing. To have Italy sort of be, or Italians, I guess, be in the spotlight for these past couple weeks, especially on the day that they won, it's something that's really special and sort of a gift to the original first-generation immigrants that uh, emigrated from Italy came here with not much and worked really hard to give their children and grandchildren a better life. And although Woodbridge is a pretty affluent area, and I'll be the first to make fun of it, filled with stuck-up, self-centered Italians driving around in Ferraris and not working but seemingly having enough money to go from cafe to cafe having different expensive coffees and different expensive clothes all day. I'll admit that. But most of these grandparents came here and, you know, were the subject of low-level work and really had to bust their ass to make it. They were subjugated to a lot of racism and segregation, called names. Like, my grandparents have a lot of stories about that. And for them to look back on those days where they arrived here and were surprised to see snow and had, you know, all this homesickness and isolation from their mother country, for them to witness a celebration of their culture in really the twilight years of their lives, all of these people are now in their 70s and 80s, I think that's pretty nice. And I'm happy that they got to all experience that. And doesn't matter what race you are, Italian or not, or whatever, hug your grandparents, call them, spend time with them, make their twilight years really special. It shouldn't take a Euro Cup 
for you to go there and have a cup of coffee, a cup of espresso, if you will, with your grandparents. Treat them well. Family's everything. Speaking of uh, families, specifically weird as shit families, I witnessed something very strange on a walk last week, and I can't stop thinking about it. I was uh, going for a walk in the neighborhood to get some fresh air, and I heard really loud music coming from a backyard. And my first thought was like some kids having a party, you know, in this backyard. The bass was thumping. It almost sounded like there was a DJ back there, and there were lots of people talking. It was quite the commotion. But then I kind of stopped and I looked at the house and I saw a bunch of older people walking back there. And then I clued in and realized that the song I was hearing going through this like bass boosted speaker was I Can Dream About You by Dan Hartman. And I was thinking, did they win this DJ party? from the adult contemporary radio station CHFI? Did they have to call in to guess a song, and that song was Torn by Natalia Imbruglia? Maybe. But then, they stop the music abruptly. The record skips. And all I hear is, Okay, now it's time for the birthday beats. Everybody gather around for the birthday beats. And the song fades back in. I can dream about you. As a man, I assume, is punched 47 times. I was like, what the hell is this? Why are you still doing birthday beats when your cholesterol may be so high that that could be fatal? I don't get it. But, you know, I've never really understood the concept of the birthday beats, I think it falls in line with this toxic birthday culture, if you will. I feel like, you know, when it's your birthday, it's your special day. Everybody celebrates you, you're the star of the show, and when it's not your birthday and it's somebody else's birthday who's in your life to a degree and you get invited to a birthday party, you gotta go there and be as selfless as possible to the person whose birthday it is. But I feel like certain people cannot handle that. They cannot handle, number one, not getting any attention at an event, and number two, all the attention at the event being focused on one individual. So they have made efforts to undermine this, and they have been ingrained in the birthday zeitgeist. And the birthday beats is an example of this. And there's other examples too, but I imagine that the originator of the birthday beats is maybe standing around, some other guys off to the side, out of the main area of the party, looked around and went, man, everybody's going goo goo gaga over this Dave guy, all because his mother pushed him out of the womb how many years ago today? You know what? Somebody should go over there and figure out a way how to beat the shit out of them. <laughs> and the birthday beats were formed. And the birthday beats are inherently designed that the more years you have under your belt, the more time you've been around, and the more that people have gotten sick of you, the more times you get punched. 
I guess they figured, okay, we can really only punch a child maybe six, seven times, so that kind of works out. But when you turn 47, we're bringing the brass knuckles to your birthday party. I can dream about you if I can punch you tonight. Happy birthday, fuckface. <laughs> you know, and uh, similar to that, uh, there is that birthday tradition of like, man, I can't believe they went out of their way to make this guy a cake, write his name on it, put the logo of his favorite sports team on it. We should ruin this cake with that guy's face. Like, that's another thing that they do. And when you're younger, it's like, okay, we sang you the happy birthday, even had to buy you a gift. But what we're going to do is embarrass you in front of your whole family by, you know, at the end of the happiest part of this party where you blow the candles out and we sing the song and gifts and sweets are on the horizon. We're going to probe into your life and ask, what's your girlfriend's first name? And like, I feel like every little kid doesn't know how to respond to that. I remember being like, well, I don't have a girlfriend. I don't even, I don't even like girls. And the one uncle's like, oh, so you're gay then. What's your boyfriend's first name? And I'm like, I'm, I'm asexual. I, I don't like anybody. I'm nine years old and I'm asexual. Can we just please have the cake and I can open up this gift card that you so lovingly put in this card that you bought on the way here? Please. Please. The gift card is for the gap. Okay, well, that's a gift to my mom, isn't it? That what's-your-girlfriend's-first-name thing gets a lot sadder as the years go on. Like when you're turning 30 and the same uncle from before decides to throw it on in there. Just to remind you of the good old days when he questioned your sexuality when you were 9 years old. And at that point, you're like, listen, I'm very flattered that you think that I am some sort of playboy bachelor Casanova. And I'm hiding secret relationships from my closest friends and family. And that I'm so secretive that the only thing I can divulge is a first name. To which it's your job to go to uh, the library, to all the uh, uh, city fawns, and try to find the lucky lady. Uh, I assure you that if I did have a girlfriend, I would tell you her first and last name. And any other information that you may want to know. Uh, thanks. Now, uh, does anybody have a gift card to The Gap for me? So since the first episode, there have been a lot of albums to come out. And instead of focusing on one or two for the reviews today, I thought I would try to get through as many as I can. In something that I would like to call the Goofcast Album Review Gauntlet. Well, that was a very rambunctious power metal intro for a segment where I don't have any metal albums. Sorry about that. It really should have been like more of a low-key, mellow, sad Phoebe Bridgers style intro where it's like... You came up with a segment of an album review gauntlet so you can go and review some more. 
I'd make you an album, but you'd listen to it and probably just give me a four. Oh, Phoebe Bridgers, don't be silly. I would never give any music you make a four. In fact, Punisher was my album of the year for 2020. However, that song you did with Paul McCartney, Seize the Day, I would rather pay $200 for nosebleeds to hear that guy sing Drive My Car Out of Tune than listen to that again. Closer to a four than a ten. Anyways, it's album review gauntlet style. Here it is. Got a bunch of albums here, most of which I actually enjoyed. But without further ado, here we go. First up is the Tyler the Creator, and I almost want to say Tyler the Creator and DJ Drama album, Call Me If You Get Lost, which DJ Drama screams over the entire duration of this album, which was memed and made fun of pretty heavily on Twitter, but I thought it was kind of cool. It was almost as if DJ Drama was the host on this trip around the world that you're taking with Tyler, a vacation from first track to the end track. Seems like he was kind of the design of it. And this is totally Tyler the Creator's flex, Tyler the Creator's 10-year retrospective. Goblin, his first album, came out back in 2011. And it's sort of a tour of Tyler's accomplishments and features musically elements from all those different Tyler albums. You have the newer Tyler that you'd find on albums like Igor and Flower Boy, where he's a little bit more melodic, he's a little bit more neo-soul R&B, channeling his, uh, no pun intended, on channel, channeling his former uh, Odd Future collaborator Frank Ocean very heavily on Flower Boy, I thought. And you also have that aggressive, you know, sort of punk garage rap that you heard back in the day on Goblin and Wolf when he was, fuck Haley, fuck Bruno Mars, stop, I'm in his fucking esophagus sort of shit. You have both of that going on on this album. Uh, Although I didn't hear much of like Screaming Tyler where it was like industrial sort of the stuff that you heard a little bit more on Igor. I kind of missed that a bit. But I thought it was a good blend of the old Tyler meets the new Tyler, done with the maturity of Tyler the producer, Tyler the sought-after feature on the entire world of hip-hop right now. So I thought it, it was taken with a mature lens. It definitely didn't remind me of, like, haha, buy this dripping donut pizza shirt from West 49 middle finger to your parents sort of stuff of Goblin, although I I ate that stuff up in high school for sure. Uh, Really liked it. Not my favorite Tyler album ever. There's can only like an album that is a flex of an individual so much, but I really enjoyed it. And I thought the theme of Call Me If You Get Lost, I thought about that a lot. And it kind of, it, it ties in with that this is a vacation and we're going around to different islands and we're on a boat and we're over here and we're in Geneva sort of deal. Call Me If You Get Lost. If you if you stray too far from Tyler and DJ Drama, the tour guides. But I also thought that it takes a lot of work and dedication to the creative process to keep going as an artist. 
it's easy sometimes to get caught up in your own head and not feel too creative and feel like you're kind of lost or wayward. So, you know, look to the program here. Tyler was able to do it. Call him if you get lost. He'll be there. Eight and a half out of ten. Next up, I Know I'm Funny, haha by Faye Webster. Really enjoyed this. Definitely my favorite Faye Webster album by far. I think she's really matured as an artist, and this is something that I haven't heard on her previous releases. All the instrumentation is super good, especially on a song like Kind Of, where it kind of delves into bossa nova. Lots of layered folk passages that have some nice percussion to it. Really enjoyed this kind of stuff. Her vocal inflections really remind me of Andy Schaaf, although I think this comparison has been made many times. They even toured together once upon a time. But yeah, really enjoyed it. My only gripe is that it all kind of melds together a little bit. It's not an album where I'm picking out tracks individually. 7.5 out of 10. Next up, Home Video by Lucy Dacus. Really enjoyed this album. Such eloquent and evocative lyrics that really paint a descriptive picture of Lucy's youth that thematically is similar to everybody else's. Uh, you know, stories about old boyfriends and the first kiss on your parents' couch and growing up with different times in school, situations with friends. Looking back on all those memories with the perspective of an adult, it's almost like looking back at them through a home video, but a home video that has been beat up a little bit and you're kind of seeing it through static with romanticizing certain memories and misremembering others. My only gripe with this album is perhaps the instrumentation could have been a little bit more diverse. But other than that, really loved it. Have listened to it a bunch of times at this point. 8 out of 10. If you've ever wanted to feel like you're clubbing in Paris or enjoying the funky European nightlife of the 80s or 90s, I would check out the album Cyclorama by Polo and Pan. Got turned on to this one at work, and I'm really enjoying it. It's like French disco, French upbeat, very bright beach lounge sort of vibe. There's a great remix of Magic by Pilot on here that I really recommend. And uh, it really reminds me of the band Justice, uh, I would say. Like the way that they combine samples and really danceable disco beats but big european french flair uh totally recommend this one seven out of ten check it out next up i listened to the new album by claro called sling i was a big fan of her last album in 2019 called immunity and i was not a fan of this one i found it to be quite the slog very boring Nothing really going on. I thought that in the last one, there was some pretty unique instrumentation, some nice indie electronic elements to it, like on songs like Bags and Sophia and Closer to You. But on this one, I sort of felt like it was just this mumbling folk the whole time that was super uninteresting. I would say that this is good coffee house music, but... 
I drank a coffee to this album, and it still managed to put me to sleep. Sorry, Claro, 4 out of 10. Eve's Tumor, who put out my third favorite album of 2020, Heaven to a Tortured Mind, has a new EP out, which I'm probably going to say wrong. It's the the Asymptotical World EP. Just search Eve's Tumor EP 2021. I don't want to say that word. But he delivers yet again. I think that Eve's Tumor is one of the most underrated artists out there right now. There's only a few tracks on this thing, but each of them sounds so stylistically different from the others. One delves into trance, one delves into garage rock, and all of them sort of have that buzzy, psychedelic feel from the last album. Really enjoyed this, can't wait to listen to it again, I've only heard it once. 8 out of 10, hell yeah. Roadrunner New Light New Machine by Brock Hampton. I, I wouldn't classify myself as a big Brockhampton fan by any means. I thought that all those Saturation albums were kind of a mixed bag. A part of me sort of feels like Brockhampton is this little bit of like nerd rap thing going on, especially on those albums. Like there's that song, I don't, I forget the name, but uh, it like features like all the horror movie villains. And you'd think that I'd be into something like that, but I heard it and I just thought it was corny. And uh, my main gripe with Brockhampton is that there's just too many guys, too much going on. Why is there as many guys as Slipknot in the band? And even in Slipknot, one of the guys has a job of banging a beer keg with a bat. Like, you just don't need that many guys. And on Ginger, I really like the lower kind of soul R&B moments on that one. And with Roadrunner, New Light, New Machine, it's sort of a mixed bag. But it's a mixed bag that I surprisingly enjoyed. I like the big epic moments on tracks like Don't Shoot Up the Party. I liked some of the trap style stuff, especially uh, Jeremiah, which I think is a bonus track, but that one just stuck in my head real good. We've been pockets. Yeah, yeah. Jeremiah. Yeah, yeah. That's That was in my head for a full week at the most. And uh, yeah, um, some good stuff. A mixed bag that I enjoyed picking different things out of. I would give it a 7 out of 10. There's probably something that you like on it, but cohesively, I don't think it's uh, the greatest full package like any of the Brockhampton albums. But 7 out of 10 nonetheless, go find something you like. A Tiny House and Secret Speeches Polar Equals by Sweet Trip. I love this album. It's so good. (laughs) This is like dream pop, which genre that I love with a male and female singer, meets these intoxicating electronic elements that remind me of Postal Service, combined into this hypnagogic wall of sound. It's so good. It has really catchy, yet ethereal kind of moments that really encourage like a good focus in what you're doing, and super relaxing, but also super complex, and been really, really enjoying this. Uh, Sweet Trip, I was not familiar with them prior to this album, but it's been over 10 years since their last album. And to the longtime fans, I hope this was worth the wait, because as an intro album for me, it was very awesome. 
I look forward to checking out the other Sweet Trip albums, which I haven't done as of yet. Really, really love this. I keep going back to it more than I have to the other albums that I've listed thus far. 9 out of 10 for the new Sweet Trip. New from Snow Allegra, Temporary Highs in Violet Skies. Some great production on this album, especially on the track In Your Eyes, where the production sort of feels like I'm listening to Vapor Trap, like Blank Banshee or an early Vaporer record. Not sure that's what they were going for at all. Very niche and somewhat dead music genre, but... Uh, it really reminded me of it. Really enjoyed that song. Maybe my favorite on the album. Uh, but there's a lot of good stuff here. Very relaxing R&B album. Listen to uh, after a hard day's work or uh, when you go golfing after work and you come home and you're just like dead from walking around being eaten by bugs and humidity for like three hours. Put on this album, Ice Your Wounds. And there's even two tracks that feature Tyler the Creator on them we didn't get a tyler the creator duet with a caliuchus on call me if you get lost but we did get two killer duets on this album which were that that, that was sorely missed on call me if you get lost so i'm glad that we have it here snow allegra temporary highs and violet skies seven and a half out of ten check it out the long-awaited very very long-awaited since 2015 for this reviewer Mood Valiant by Hiatus Coyote. I'm a big fan of Hiatus Coyote. Choose Your Weapon 2015. I've listened to it so many times. It was a go-to when I was studying in university. And now we finally have a new record. It's diverse. It's really great. Jazzy, soul, R&B with lead singer Napalm cruising over every luscious instrumental. Intoxicating rhythms laid on thick and passages that kind of repeat a little too long, but you just want it to go even longer. I uh, really love this thing. I've heard it twice, and I keep uh, finding new things to like about it every time I hear it. Uh, it was worth the wait, and uh, what really sucked about the wait is that the reason there was such a delay between this album and choose your weapon was uh, due to many factors the biggest of which was napalm uh, being diagnosed with and surviving breast cancer so shout out to napalm glad she is back at it with hiatus coyote and i can't wait to see them live or what they do next eight and a half out of ten for mood valiance Last but not least, I wanted to give a shout-out to the new album from Brian Borshert's solo project, Dusted, called Dusted 3. You may know Brian from being in the Toronto electronic experimental group Holy Fuck, as I did, but this is his third release under Dusted, and it's a very melancholy singer-songwriter exploration of themes of transition and memory. I would recommend it to anyone who's a fan of the genre, and I would compare his solo stuff sort of to Tom York's stuff, you know, his latest, especially Anima. It's sort of that uh, singer-songwriter, acoustic, stripped-back guitars and instrumentation, but also stripped-back lo-fi uh, electronic elements as well. Uh, I actually interviewed Brian about this album and some other cool stuff he's done, which includes having his tracks from Holy Fuck in some of my favorite TV shows like Breaking Bad and Kenny vs. Spenny. 
and also going viral online for turning Chipmunks tracks into sludge metal. Interviewed him for RX Music, which you can find at the link rxmusic.com slash editorial. Now, I want to finish this off by talking about one movie and one movie only. Although there are many movies that I have seen since the first episode that I could talk about, I want to talk about this one movie because it has probably been my most unpopular opinion on a movie since I didn't like Django Unchained. And that opinion has caused a lot of insults to be launched in my direction, a lot of turned heads, a lot of uh, slurs, ironically, have been... No, no one no one called me a slur. But people uh, seem to get pretty, uh, pretty angry that I didn't like Django Unchained, although I'm a huge Tarantino head, and I've seen... The rest of his movies, except for uh, Jackie Brown, almost said uh, the Jackie Unchained. Uh, Hopefully that's not movie number 10, a Jackie Brown, Django Unchained mashup. Uh, But I've seen all the movies except for Jackie Brown. I've not seen that as of the recording of this podcast. And I like slash love the rest of them. With Reservoir Dogs and Inglorious Bastards being two of my favorite movies of all time. And Once Upon a Time in Hollywood being one of my top three favorite movies of 2019 for sure. The movie, and not even really a movie, comedy special if you want to call it that, that I want to talk about is Inside by Bo Burnham. So this quote-unquote comedy special consists of Bo Burnham filming himself inside his house make all these quirky ha-ha songs about the pandemic and recent technology and the internet and so on and so forth. Recent pop culture, I would say. And everybody is going gaga over this thing, saying, oh my god, like he really speaks to what we've all been through in quarantine. I really feel where he's coming from. These songs are so charming. These songs are so funny. These songs are so good. I very much disagree. I found this to be the most annoying, self-aggrandizing, and self-absorbed thing I have maybe ever watched in my life. So Bo Burnham's whole aesthetic in this thing is I am stuck inside the house and I have to create a comedy special. Woe is me. Netflix has given me a big bag for trying to do what most others are trying to do and suffering the way most others are, but all my suffering will pay off in the end. And he does this really annoying thing where he starts off like, that's oh, day one of me recording this. It looks like normal. And then he slowly grows out like the homeless Tom Hanks and castaway beard and hair. Like I'm stuck inside. Nobody's stuck inside. I know we like to throw that term around, you know, during COVID, during quarantine. But you can go out for a drive. You can go out for a walk. Bo Burnham's trying to make us believe that he's like a POW, that there's like a guard outside the door, you forcing him to make these songs day in, day out. He can't see the sunlight. He can't, you know, he's like going up to the windowsill and the, and the sun pierces his eyes like he's been held captive doing this. And as for this being a comedy special, 
I think he should change his name to Boo Hoo Burnham for how sappy and depressing this was. Am I supposed to be doing big haha style knee slapper laughs to these outdated sounding key of awesome and like songify the news songs where he's just sort of mentioning things that are going on in the world in this whimsical manner? Instrumentally, most of these songs feel like a postal service ripoff or like a theater kid noodling around backstage. And thematically, a lot of them remind me of like the worst cheesy aspects of like Bare Naked Lady songs and Weezer songs where they're like trying to be nerdy. I don't know. I don't understand how anybody finds any of this funny or charming. Bo Burnham gets drunk on himself and expects us to care about him. Everything feels forced and shallow. He sings songs about what's going on with the state of comedy, but fails to make any jokes. And he has this like quandary of like, how can I make people laugh when there's no audience? This is so weird. Like how behind in the times is Bo Burnham where he thinks it's weird for a comedian to be talking to his audience and not hearing a laugh. Every popular comedian these days have a podcast where they're either talking just into the microphone a la Bill Burr or a pre-cancellation Chris D'Elia, which I think he's still doing his podcast anyway, or just to another comedian or to a guest. And it's funny and it's insightful. I don't understand why Bo Burnham, this concept is so lost on him. Like he's like, ah, there's an, an, an ancient idiot proverb of, of a joke is said and there's no one there to laugh. Is it a joke? Yeah, it still is. It's been being done for a while. A lot better than this. And what the hell was that modern day version of We Didn't Start the Fire? Where it was called uh, that, that Funny Feeling or whatever. People were like, oh my god, this is so good. He's just listing things. He's like, Logan, Paul, and iPad, and TikTok. Okay, I could do that too. I can scroll through my Twitter trends and try to make everything rhyme. A lot of people were saying this really reminded them of Bo Burnham's parody songs and videos on YouTube back in the day. Another instance where a person, he himself, made jokes when there was no audience. Anyway, a lot of people said it reminded them of that, and it kind of reminded me of that too, because it's that outdated, like, YouTube parody kind of humor, like... The key of awesome turning a meme from 2010 into a song like like the bed intruder guy or double rainbow. It felt like that. It felt outdated. It felt annoying. And it was remarkably unfunny. One out of ten. One out of ten. Some people think that I bow burn the house down a bit much, including somebody who commented on my written review of Inside, which you can find on at it's Goofcast on Instagram, uh, who launched a bunch of insults, but luckily no slurs, at me about this movie. And I first I thought he was a random troll, but then I figured out he's actually the boyfriend of a coworker. So I just said, uh, "Sorry, you feel that way. See you at the Christmas party, I guess." I don't know. Uh, hopefully nobody shows up with pitchforks here now that I've decided to go after Mr. Bo Burnham again. But uh, 
Damn the torpedoes. I, I welcome it. And that's going to do it for episode five of Goofcast. Thank you so much for listening. And I hope that you had a laugh, that you have an album to maybe go check out, and a comedy special to not see. <laughs> anyway, thanks again for listening. Really appreciate it. You can find us at our home on the web, which is at It's Goofcast on Instagram. And you can also follow me on Instagram at Michael Prims and Twitter at Michael Prims as well. The album review gauntlet theme was by my good friend Vince Camiso. You can check him out on Instagram at VTP Music. Thanks, everybody. And whether it's your morning, your afternoon, or your night, I hope you have a great one.